0: Okay, hey, I think we're right on the recorder. So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we'll be starting in verse 2 this morning, so let's open this prayer. Father God, we do thank you for your word, and um, we thank you for the instructions it gives us, in, in especially in the in, uh, uh, more practical areas like marriage, and just pray that you'll bless our time as we go through this passage this morning and, and get a, a glimpse at yeah, maybe a, an aspect of marriage that we're not always aware of or, or think about. And I uh, just pray you'll, you'll help us as we go through this and, and, and make sense of, of your plan for our marriage relationships. We just pray your blessing in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, for reading, we're going to start in verse 1 and read through verse 9 in chapter 7.
1: Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman.
2: But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife. And each wife, and and that's all right, and each woman with their own husband. (coughs) The
3: The husband should fulfill his marital duties to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The
1: wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does
3: do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control.
1: Now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of they say to the unmarried and widows that it is good for them if
0: they remain even as I. But if they do not have self control, let them marry, for it's better to marry than to burn. Okay, so we've, uh, last week, last week, two weeks ago, we didn't meet last week because of the snow, we finished up uh, chapter six. And just, you know, again, looking at Corinth um, in those days, Calling someone a Corinthian was the same as calling someone a sodomite. It was that bad in Corinth. They were the Sodom of the the age. And in chapter 6, Paul was dealing with uh, not just sexual immorality, but prostitution. And there were people who were in the church who were getting involved with prostitution, going into prostitutes. In Corinth, there was a temple of Aphrodite. And part of the worship there was sexual intercourse with the priestesses, you know, and, and so Paul has been dealing with that. Um, and we saw at the end of chapter 6, um, he basically is telling them, you know, you've, you've been purchased by God. Your body belongs to God. Do not join it to a prostitute. You can't be spiritually joined to Jesus Christ and physically joined to a prostitute from a pagan temple at the same time. It just does not write. And so that's the context that leads into chapter 7. And so, starting in chapter 7, he's, verse 1, he says, Concerning the things about which you wrote, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. So he starts answering questions that they've written to him about. The first six chapters are things that he's heard from about Corinth, about the problems they have in the church, and he's been dealing with those problems. But now he's starting to answer specific questions that they had asked him. And one of them had to do with sexual relationships. Um, in looking at all the commentaries, there seemed to be a, an issue there of, you know, on the one hand, you had the, the, the sexually liberal group that said, well, you know, sex is just a physical thing that does not affect your relationship with god versus the other extreme where they said well sex is so bad that we shouldn't have it at all we should be celibate so you you know people tend to break down into extremes <laughs> doesn't matter what the subject are you, you tend to get the extreme viewpoints and so uh, paul's first he started by dealing with the sexual liberality now he's going to deal with the celibacy issue And in verse one, you know, he he says, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. And that's a euphemism for having sexual relationships. And he's going, as we go through this section, he's going to kind of agree, partially agree with those who are advocating celibacy. However, he's not going to completely agree with them. And that's why we, we get into marriage. So, starting in verse two. But because of immoralities, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband." So, you know, we, we see the, the issue here is because of immoralities, and that's what we've been talking about all through chapter 6. Um, chapter 5, we had incest. Chapter 6 mentions homosexuality along with all the other sins. Because of all the sinfulness in the sexual realm, that's why he's talking about verse 2, about why, why he's going to give us this information. So first, you know, Paul doesn't give us the, the whole background on marriage. Marriage is God's normal plan for men and women. So let's go back to Genesis chapter 2. This is just looking at our general background information. Genesis chapter 2, would someone like to read verses 18 through 24?
1: Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird in the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. she shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh okay oh.
0: that's good enough thank you I always like to paraphrase verse 18 <laughs> God looked at Adam and said this, this guy needs help yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make him a helper um, so the man needs help God, God does give him a helper um, one of the things that has struck me is uh, verse 19, Out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field, every bird of the sky. You know, I'm not
2: sure I ever noticed that before. It was out of the ground. Out of
0: the ground. Adam, too.
2: But I, I, I that. wait a minute.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so all the birds, all the animals, Adam, everybody was made from the dust of the earth except Eve. <laughs> God took from the side of Adam, and made Eve. Today we call that cloning. She was a clone. I guess you know. It struck me that time. I was like, this, this is, this is interesting. Um, In in horticulture, if if you develop a new variety of of a plant, uh, I'm I'm from Washington State, so I'm used to their uh, their new Cosmic Crisp you don't reproduce it with seeds, because you don't know what you're going to get. You take cuttings, and that's the only way you can get the exact mm. DNA of the plant and get the exact plant reproduced. And so that's kind of, so Eve was literally flesh of my flesh. They, she was a clone of Adam, they, they shared flesh, more so that you know, it's applied to us now. Uh, where, you know, we come from whole different um, genetic backgrounds, but they had one genetic background. Um, To me, the miracle is how did God go from XY chromosomes to XX chromosomes, but... (laughs) He's God. (laughs) Yeah, he's God. So he did that. Uh, And then let's go to chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1. Someone like to read verses 26 through 28. (laughs) talking about God being made, or man being made in God's image, uh, you know, we usually think of that as just being totally the non-physical part of us. But um, Again, you've you've got God, he's, you know, three persons in one essence. Adam and Eve were two persons, but they were of the same substance. I think even physically they were, in a sense, a representation of God, in this case. Uh, So again, we've got... From the very beginning, male and female, a pair, that's that's marriage. That's God's plan from the very beginning. Also, he says, be fruitful and multiply. Well, it takes sexual relationship to do that. So from the very beginning, a man was created. This was part of um, his plan for us. Then um, going back to the New Testament, let's turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 13. Hebrews 13, someone like to read verse 4.
1: <coughs> <coughs> that marriage be held in honor among all, and that the marriage be undefiled, for God will judge us sexually immoral.
0: Okay, marriage is honorable a positive thing those who defile that relationship are to be judged so that's kind of the background now we'll get into you know paul knows all this stuff um, but he's again he's been in with the corinthians he's been dealing with all the sexual problems of that of the church you know they've come out of that um You know, he lists all about, in chapter 6, lists a whole bunch of sexual sins, and he says, and such were some of you. They've come out of that. That's their whole culture. And so it's a serious problem for them to deal with that. So with that background, you know, he says in verse 3, or excuse me, verse 2, he says, because of immoralities, because of this background, therefore, this is what you need to do. Um... Let each man have his own wife. Let each woman have her own husband. The word "let" implies that it's an imperative. This is not a command necessarily, but it's imperative. This is what you ought to do. Um, back in verse, chapter six, verse eighteen, he says, "Flee immorality." So, if you're fleeing from something. He tells them what to flee from, but I'm thinking, if, you know, I don't know if a, what the best thing to do if you got a bear chasing you is what do you do? Stop. Stop. You climb. <laughs> no, I wouldn't stop. <laughs> climb a tree. I'd climb a tree. Maybe that's not the right thing. You try to find a safe place, right? You flee from the danger. You go to someplace safe, and that's what Paul's talking about here. You flee immorality, you go to a safe place, and that is...
2: probably asked bid what you do with the bear. What? Bobby asked Did he probably oh. knows.
0: Yeah, I was wondering if he was going to say something. <laughs> I mean,
2: there be. I, I would climb a
0: tree. you can climb a tree, Potentially. yeah.
2: Potentially, yeah,
0: Yeah. Depends. So you'd find a safe place.
2: You could
1: outrun it, right, Ben? Yeah. That's
0: if of could, right. I could not run a bear, no. I could Find a close, a tree close by. cheekless um, So where's our safe place? We flee immorality, we go to a safe place. It's our marriage, our spouse. So this is where we flee to, you flee to a spouse. And so that's what Paul is explaining here in verses two through five. So in verse two, he begins by saying, each man is to have his own wife. Again, an imperative, present tense, keep on having your own wife. The word wife is, uh, the Greek word gune, where we get gynecologist, means female. Have your own female. Um, It's singular. Not have your own harem. Have your own female, singular. Um, Continuous action, continue to have... And so, it, it, you know, each man is to continue to have and possess his own one woman. Sounds a lot like marriage vows, doesn't it? So that's what Paul is saying here. Um, the commentaries point out this seems to be completely foreign to Greek and Roman culture. I was looking at the MacArthur in his commentary. said it was possible for people in Rome to have gone through like 20 or more divorces. You know, it's, it's worse in our society. Um, for slaves, they had no choice. They were Their masters either put them together, took them apart, would sell one slave, sell the other. I mean, they treated their slaves like livestock. Um, so they had no choice. Um, and then Paul goes on, you know, and he gives exactly the same or almost the same command to the woman. Um, in verse 2, let each woman have her own husband. Um, and this was, you know, a couple of reasons. One is, you know, again, the, the women had, were just as apt to file for divorce from their husband as vice versa. So that it was a mutual problem in their society. Um, it wasn't just men, it was the women too. And they pointed out that uh, they had full-fledged women rights a lot of women had wanted nothing to do with housewife, being mothers, anything like that. You know, same thing we'll see in our society today. And, you know, it says each woman have her own husband. The word for husband is aner, which is kind of related to anthropos. It means a male. Um, and so as you go through the rest of this chapter where it says husband, it's aner, male, and where it says wife, it's gune, meaning female, all through this chapter. Now there is a separate special word for own, singular, uh, it means, it means to have one's own, have one a private, something private or something separate. So it's a little stronger word than the first part where it talks about men. The word here is idios. What is the English word do you think we get from idios? Idiot. idiot. <laughs> A bad translation here is each woman is to have her idiot man. <laughs> um, how, how did we get idiot from you know being separate? That, the idea, I think, apparently was somebody who was really, really stupid. Everyone would just kind of avoid them. So they were separate. They were an idiot. They were a separate, separate people because nobody wanted to get close to them. Because they were, so apparently that's where the, how it came to mean idiot, but. So, um, this is describing a permanent one-to-one relationship between a male and a female. When you look at the words. So, what are the obligations in this relationship? And Paul starts with obligations before he starts with rights. Um, so looking at verse 4. Oh, excuse me. We're going to look at verses 3 and 4, but let's look at verse 3. Let the husband fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. Again, we have let the. This is the, it's an admonition. It's an uh, imperative. Um, and there's a lot of different translations for this. I have New American Standard, New American, let let the husband fulfill his duty to his wife. NIV, husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. New King James, let the husband render to his wife the affection due her. Uh, English Standard Version, husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. So the Greek word basically just says to give or render what is owed. In a different context, this might mean to pay a debt what is owed so the man has an obligation to his wife um, and we can see that we're going to look ahead to verse 5 just looking at the beginning it says stop depriving one another the old king james says defraud not and we've had this word before let's turn back to chapter 6 some like read verses 7 and 8
3: The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wrong? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters.
0: Okay, here's the word in your version translates it, cheat. The American Standard translates it, defraud. <coughs> and we, that, that means to withhold something that is due, something that you owe. And we looked at... In James, it uses, he uses that word to describe the, you know, you're defrauding your workers. They've been working in the field and you're not paying them. You owe them money because they've done the work. And so there's this obligation here uh, between a husband and a wife. And it does not explicitly say it's a sexual obligation. But that is the context. And, and many of the translations say that. You know, that's added to make it clear. That um, what he's saying is a man has an obligation to protect his wife from the sexual temptations of the world by providing uh, sexual satisfaction in a safe and holy relationship. That's his obligation to protect his wife. In this case, it's from the immoralities of the world. And he says, likewise, um... also the wife to her husband So we have this obligation both directions Um, you know instead of equal rights here is equal obligations that we have in in marriage to protect our spouse uh, from uh, the immoralities of the world by giving him a safe and holy place to have this relationship
3: well one of those translations you read It sounded more like, um, not just sexual, but also like emotional, like loving
0: support. The affection do her, that's King James. Mm -hmm. Let the husband render to his wife the affection do her. Yes. And that's part of it. Yeah. That's part of the relationship. Mm -hmm. Okay, going on and looking at verse 4, continues with this, um, so it expands the basis for this obligation. It says the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise also, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. So again, um, Paul is addressing husband and wife equally. Um, you know, in, in culture, even you go back to the Old Testament under the law, it's, it, you get the idea that uh, the sexual relations were the husband's privilege, the wife's obligation. And a woman who committed adultery was basically looked at as being she's violating her husband's rights. So it's almost like a uh, like theft in a sense of what he his rights.
2: But then drop back was he showed sure the proper affection for her? Was she yeah. was he appreciative enough? You know right. it, it's a deep subject. So yeah.
0: But I think, you know, under, when when you get to the New Testament there's a lot more honor given to the women than, than you had in in the culture, even in, in the past culture, even under, mm-hmm. under the Mosaic law. Um, and again, it's, it is completely mutual. Um, each spouse is on equal footing as, as Paul goes through this. Um, in verse 3, he addressed the husband first. and Now in verse 4, he's addressing the wife first. Um, so... He starts by saying the wife does not have authority or power in some sense, in some translations, over her own body, but the husband does. And so the key word here is authority or power. Um, it means to have control. Uh, and now it does not refer to power in the sense of strength or energy, but it has to do with control. Now this is a contrast with our culture where we say my body, my choice.
2: Right? We all say that?
0: Yeah, we do. (laughs) And I'll make everybody mad uh, because it's used to justify abortion. It's also used to justify refusing to get vaccinated. (laughs) So you've got both ends of the political spectrum using the same attitude of it's my body, it's my choice. You can't Well, let's go back to chapter six. Someone like to read nineteen verses nineteen and twenty.
1: Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. And twenty also. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body.
0: You're not your own. You belong to God. It's not my body, my choice. It's God's body, and I need to do what God says to do with it. So. You know, you might have, you know, I'm thinking of the vaccination. You may not have gotten vaccinated, but it's the proper reason is this is God's body, not it's my body and you can't do any. You know, you're not violating my rights. Uh, So sometimes you can have the wrong reason for (laughs) doing the right thing. Um, So now we find out that it's not only my—it's not my body because it belongs to God. It's also not under my control. It's under my spouse's control. So what happens to all the me time? <laughs> there is none, uh, in a sense. Um, now is this a, a contradiction for Paul to say, "Okay, your body belongs to God, and now your body belongs to your spouse"? It's—it's it's really not because. That's God's plan for how you use your body is within this relationship with your control of your spouse, partial control of your spouse. Um, Now, one of the things here is uh, this does not mean that one's spouse has complete and total control over the other's body. It... um, That you're in together, you're one flesh, and so neither has total control over their own body or over the others. It's a you're working on this together, Um, so you can't use this verse to demand sex from your spouse. (laughs) I have control of your body. I want you right now. That's not what Paul is saying here. Um, So he was. He was dealing again with a, a situation in Corinth where you've got a married couple and one of them was saying, well, if, if Paul's preaching against all this sexual fornication, all this sexual activity, well, then I'm just going to be celibate. I made up the decision. I'm, not going, to, I'm going to be celibate. And it's within this context of marriage. And Paul says, no, you can't do that. You don't have total control over that decision, um, and that's what he goes on and addresses in verse five. So, looking at verse five, stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again, lest Satan tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So, we already looked at this term: de- don't deprive each other, or, or which we saw can also be translated defraud. You have an obligation to each other. Provide them with your spouse with a safe place. Um, And this is a stronger term than abstain. This doesn't mean, well, it's just abstain. No, this is defrauding your partner. Um, However, again, Paul is making allowance, He, uh, he allows, in a sense, temporary celibacy for a set period of time, by mutual consent. So this is a concession to their, their position on celibacy. So you've got a, a couple, of, um, one of them wants to thinks they ought to be celibate so that they can devote themselves to spiritual matters. And Paul's saying, well, I kind of agree with you. Sometime, yes, you need to do that. However, you do not have total control over your body and your life. It's shared with your spouse. So the two of you have to get together and decide how long are we going to abstain from this relationship, the physical relationship, in order to devote ourselves to spiritual matters. And again, it's a cooperative thing. There's the... um, not the sense of demanding from each other, but the obligation to provide for each other, to keep each other safe. And he does say here, okay, for devote yourselves to prayer. Um, I think old King James said prayer and fasting, uh, but most modern versions just say prayer here. <clears throat> so it may include, you know, time for meditation, time for some kind of religious service Um, but he said that you can get together and decide that this is okay. Um, We've got a couple examples I think from the Old Testament. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 19. God talks about separating yourselves from sexual activity for a period of time. Um, Okay, chapter 19 in Exodus. Someone like to read verses 14 through 17 for us.
1: So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud of the mountain and a very long trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and took their stand at the foot of the mountain.
0: Okay, so here the spiritual duty is to go meet God. (laughs) God said, okay, I want you to abstain from sexual relations for three days before this. Um, so you can focus on what's coming up. Also, let's turn to the book of Joel. Joel chapter 2. Someone like to read verses 15 and 16.
3: Blow the trumpet. Assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber.
0: Okay. So here, this is this is definitely pulling everyone together for a special spiritual uh, event, um, in coming to God and, and um, basically confession and weeping and prayer to God to <coughs> avoid the upcoming judgment. <coughs> So when it, at the end of it, said so the bridegroom come out of his chamber? The bride come out of her, uh, oh, out of her chamber, and that means you come out of the, the marriage chamber, you'll come out of the sexual relationship of a, of a new married couple, um, because this is more important. We have a special uh, spiritual thing going on here. Um, so you have a short period of time you're devoted uh, to religious duties your, your spouse is left without this sexual protection your spouse is vulnerable to attack and that's what Paul says here um, lest uh, you come together again lest Satan tempt you because of your lack of self-control so Paul is warning them about the, the attack that may come during this time when when the, this married couple is abstaining from sexual activities. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8. Someone like to read that for us. 1 Peter 5, 8.
3: Mind. your enemy the devil
0: prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Okay. <laughs> looking for someone who's to devour. you. I don't know if you, whenever you watch these uh, wildlife shows and you got the whole herd of animals and the predators, they follow along behind the herd looking for the weak ones. They're easiest, the easiest one to capture. And so you know your spouse might have a weakness in this area is what paul's saying and if you don't protect them this lion's going to get them um, do you ever think that satan knows your specific weakness <laughs> have you ever had you ever had something happen yes sometimes i've been in situations like Oh, come on, this is a little too obvious. <laughs> I know my weakness. This is way too obvious. <laughs> um, and Satan's tempting us in that area. So he knows, in a sense, who lacks the self-control in sexual situations, and he will send temptations for them. So don't leave your spouse hanging out there. Um, give them uh, protection. okay going on to verse six so that's really the the substance of what he's telling them about the relationship physical relationship within marriage why how what's the purpose of it verse six but this i say by way of concession not of command Um, the problem here is what does this the word this refer to I still remember a paper from high school English, and in red ink all down the margins a teacher had written, indefinite antecedent. The antecedent is what does a pronoun refer back to? And he says, it's indefinite. I don't know who you're talking about. That stuck in my head. (laughs) I never had that much red ink on one paper before. i did it over and over again but that's the problem we have an indefinite antecedent here Um, so what does this refer to Um, and the commentaries have all different kinds of answers Uh, looking back at verse two uh, is is it a command to get married you know he says no this is uh, a concession not command Um, going on to verses three and four is it a command you have to have sexual relationship in a marriage or is, um, is that a concession or is, is verse five the concession where you, you abstain for a while for physical reasons or for spiritual reasons it's not really clear um, some people <clears throat> even say that well verse six is the introduction to the next past next uh, few verses um, one of the things that, that you can see in this whole passage as we go through this chapter is Paul is not really dogmatic here about things he's giving his uh, his best advice based on his understanding of of God's word and the situation Um, so he's where does it say that I was thinking I didn't call it out time. Um, like verse 25 Now, concerning virgins i have no command of the lord but i give an opinion as one who by the mercy of the lord is trustworthy we don't have statements like that anywhere else in his letters everything else is dogmatic this is truth so here he's dealing with is situational um in a sense um He gives his advice based on who the people are, what their situation is. Now going back to 618, he says, flee immorality. That is very blunt, that is very straightforward, very dogmatic. Flee immorality. And now he's talking about, you know, how do you deal with a relationship? And and he's not giving us a one-size-fits-all solution here. and this, this pertains to a lot of things in life. We have situations, again, when we talked about eating meat that had been um, served to idols. And this is something we looked at earlier. If you go to eat with a, uh, a pagan, he says, eat whatever's before you. Don't worry about it. Unless they say, hey, this has been offered to the idol. And he says, then you refuse it. So it's situational in that case. And so there takes wisdom. God wants us to have wisdom, not just a bunch of necessarily set rules that answers all the questions. He wants us to have wisdom, to make good decisions. Um, when we get to chapter 12, you'll see spiritual gifts. We've all got different spiritual gifts. We've all got different situations. You know, so you can't tell one person, well, you need to do this or you need to do that. Well, it's God who just dis- discerns and um, and tells us. So, basically, Paul's been telling them, um, you got to get married. You have the relationships within your marriage. But Paul was single. so So, now he's going to... He's going to have to explain that situation. And, and that's where we, we'll get on starting in verse 7. We'll get to that next time. So it's like, okay, you've been talking about marriage, but you don't have a wife. <laughs> you know, how do you know what's going on? What, why are you not doing what you... Why are you not practicing what you preach? So uh, We'll look at that next time. Okay, Joe, pray for us.
2: Dear Lord, we do think of your word. The way it instructs, the day we instruct today, we instructions on variation. We look, or just look at it and say, for everything in our life, there is something in the Word for us to look at. So we thank you for the living Word that you have for us. We pray that we will be obedient to it, that we will listen to what you have for us, that we will listen to you and, and through your Scriptures and what you have, that we will be in constant communication with you. We just want to thank you for that. We thank that Ben and Bethany can join us today. we just proud the deal. Bless our time they are down here in the south part of the country. We just want to thank you for that. They're able to join us to pray for this hour, pray for this hour to come. And you'll be here, and we'll be able to work with worship attitude, ready to have what you have for us. In your prayer, you pray. Amen. Amen. I think they brought winter with them.